It's always a privilege to be able to open God's Word and to be able to read it, to be able to comprehend what is said, and then to be able to think about some application of some of these things that are found there. This morning we're going to conclude our study of the book of Malachi with an emphasis on chapter 4, The Sun Rises. You see, in chapters 1 through 3, the people of God were challenged because of their failure. Let me paint the picture for you if I can. The children of Israel have returned from their Babylonian captivity. You should have had a lot of excitement on the part of people to be able to once again worship and serve God. But in reality, chapter 1, their interest in God was waning They were beginning to lose interest in serving God and so they were offering whatever they had, whether it was blind or lame, whatever sacrifice they wanted to offer, if it wasn't useful to them, that's what they gave to God. You get to chapter 2 and what you observe is their families were now falling apart. God was no longer the leader in everyone's home. No longer were they trying to say, I want to please God in the way I live in my home and in my family. And their families were falling apart. You get to chapter 3 and you observe people who have made money their God. Everything's about, I want to acquire more, I want to acquire more. And it became a matter of just covetousness was a way of life. And you might think, those are some really dark days for God's people. In fact, it's almost like a night of darkness where you just can't see for the the darkness all around you. But when you get to chapter 4, there's hope. Because there's going to be someone who's going to come. And it's going to be just like the sun rising in the morning after a real difficult and dark night. And the beauty that is a part of it. When Jeremiah wrote his message... He said in chapter 29 and verse 11, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. God says what I want out of my people is for them to have something they can look forward to. Or if you continue to Solomon's statement in Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 4, But for him who is joined to all the living, there is hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. As long as you and I are in this life and we are living and we have the ability to make decisions and to make choices, it can be a brighter day. And then God had plans for their future, but would they accept it? Would they accept? turn from all that false direction they've been going and try to make a new change in their lives. So here's what I want us to do as we look at chapter 4. I want us to talk about the day. Brother Stanley read to us just a few moments ago from chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, where there's that emphasis on the day. Then I want to talk about the deliverer. Who was it that was being spoken of? And what kind of deliverance was he going to bring? And then finally to talk about the destination and the decision that comes from that. 
Let's begin, first of all. If you'll open your Bibles, let's look at chapter 4. Let's look at verses 1, 3, and 5. And I'm going to highlight the word day as it appears in those three verses. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven. And the proud, yes, all who do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, that will leave them neither root nor branch. Dropping to verse 3. You shall trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under your soles of your feet. On the day that I do this, says the Lord of hosts. Again, skipping verse 4, going to verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Now for them, that had to be a future event. It's a day that's coming. And as you and I begin to try to understand what Malachi is writing about, we want to know when that future day was going to be. To understand it a little better, you can back up to chapter 3. Last week when I studied with you the third chapter and talking about when money becomes our God, I skipped over verses 1 through 6 because I knew they would go with this lesson because of the thoughts in it. When he's looking forward to the coming and there's some telltale signs in verses 1 through 6. He said, Behold, I send my messenger. And he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire. And like launderer's soap, he will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver. They will, that they may offer the Lord an offering of righteousness. Then the Lord, the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasant to the Lord as in the days of old, as in the former years. And I will come near you for judgment. And I will be a swift witness against your sorcerers, adulterers, against perjurers, against those who exploit wage earners and orphans and widows, and against those who turn away an alien because they do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore you are not consumed, O sons, of Jacob. The picture that he gives here is the Lord's coming. And the picture that you see is he's going to be preceded by one. And we know that's the coming of John the Baptist. And you say, well, how do you know that that's what he's referring to? All I've got to do is go to Matthew 3. And I can see Matthew's account reflecting back both to the account of Isaiah and the account of Micah and Malachi. And saying, here he comes, here he comes. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he of whom was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, saying, 
the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John himself was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. You see, John's arriving is to prepare the way for the coming of Christ. That day is going to be marked by John's arrival. And when John came, what did he do? He preached. Verse 6 it says, And they were baptized of him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. But I think it's significant to note that when you get to verse 7, he sees Pharisees, he sees Sadducees coming to his baptism. And he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath of to come, the wrath to come, therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. And then in verse 10, and even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. It's as if the Lord has the axe drawn back and he's ready to chop their tree down. This is a day that the Lord was going to bring. And someone says, well, When Jesus came, he wasn't this fiery, harsh, just dominating preacher. He was sort of melancholy. We've seen pictures of him. He sits on the rock and he's contemplating. No, that's not the Lord that's written about in Scripture. In fact, if you will notice, when the Lord comes at the beginning of his personal ministry in John chapter 2, And at the end of his personal ministry in Matthew chapter 21, the Lord cleanses the temple. I think it's important to see the Lord as he is. John records, now the Passover of the Jews is at hand. and Jesus went up to Jerusalem and he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. And when he had made a whip of cords, he drove them out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured the changers' money and overturned their tables. And he said to those who sold doves, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house has eaten me up. The Lord was not kind. The Lord was not gentle with those who were trying to turn the temple into a place of business. Oh, does that sound a lot like what was going on in Malachi's day? You get to the end of his personal ministry. He's worked three years in preaching and teaching, and then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. You see, the Lord, when sin was in front of him, condemned it. Consider the way the Lord spoke to the hypocrites of his day. Oh, you could read all of Matthew 23, but let me just pull out a few verses here. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for neither you go in yourselves nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. For you devour widows' houses and for pretense make long prayers. Therefore you shall receive the greater condemnation. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, 
For you travel the land and the sea to win one proselyte. And when he is one, he's twofold more a son of hell than yourselves. You see, the Lord would look at those people who were hypocritical, which is exactly what they were in Malachi's day. And so Malachi's eyes is looking forward to the coming of Jesus the Christ. And Luke eleven forty five. then one of the lawyers answered and said to him, Teacher, by saying these things, you reproach us also. Yes, the Lord's preaching was decisive. And it was plain. And it was clear. Right versus wrong. Now, if you're reading from Malachi's point of view, the Old Testament's point of view, the coming of the day of the Lord was the coming of the Lord's kingdom and the impending judgment on those under the Old Testament. But for those of us today, as we look forward to the day that is promised, it's the day of eternal judgment. Peter writes in 2 Peter 3.10, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat and both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. You see, for them there was the coming of the Son of Man. For us, it's the second coming of the Son of Man. Now, that's chapter, really the last of chapter 3, the first part of chapter 4. But now let's look at verse 2. This is where the hope comes in. But to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will arise with healing in his wings. And you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. Now, the son of righteousness. Oh, there's a beautiful picture in that. It's just like the sun is rising after that dark night. There's a song in our songbook. I believe it's number 593. Son of my soul, thou Savior near. It is, uh, Savior near, it is not night if thou be near. You see, the picture that is given there is the Lord is the son of righteousness. It's like the the rising of the sun carries with it a new day, a new dawn, new opportunities, new blessings. There's so many passages in the Bible that reflect that. Psalms chapter 30, verse 5, For his anger is but for a moment, his favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. What the psalmist is trying to say is, Yes, it may appear dark and drear now, but there is coming the beautiful sunrise. 2 Peter 1 and verse 19 is, So we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you would do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. He said you need to put your confidence in that written word. In 1 John 2 and verse 8, he says, A new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because a darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. The picture is is that the deliverer is now here, and there's light brought by him. 
And then Revelation 22, verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you uh, these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. That morning star that rises every morning is the sun. And he is the sun, S-U-N, and S-O-N, the son of righteousness. But it says he has healing in his wings. You know, we may think when we talk about wings, about birds, but the word wings is a reference to the rays of the sun. It's This morning I was leaving the office and I noticed as the clouds were breaking, the sun was peeking through. You could see those rays just peering right through those clouds. thought how beautiful that was and how it would make a good backdrop for this lesson this morning. You and I receive the healings that come from the wings or the rays of the sun. Isaiah 53, verse 5, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Or Hosea 6, verse 1, Come and let us return to the Lord, for he is torn, but he will heal us. He is stricken, but he will bind us up. But you see, that same arrival of the sun can bring something for one and something different for another. For those who've endured a cold night of darkness and the sun rises and starts to warm the earth, that's a welcome sight. On the other hand, if you're in a dark or you're in a desert and there's no water and that same sun that beams down can bring pain and discomfort and distress. In John 3 verse 20, For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deed should be exposed. The wicked hate the light. The righteous love the light. Ephesians 5 verse 11, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Verse 13, But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. The picture is the beautiful light that is coming into this world. But what that does, you see the day that is coming, the deliverer, and it's looking from the coming of Christ and the, the, the blessings that are brought by that. That brings us to the third part of Malachi 4. Let's look at verses 4 through 6. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel with statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. There was a call to remember the law of Moses. With the statutes and the judgments, or the New English translation says, with the rules and the regulations. For many people today, the idea is is that the Old Testament had rules. It had thou shalt and thou shalt nots. 
But the New Testament is nothing more than a, basically a, a list of things that God would like us to do. People have the idea of the Old Testament as commands, the New Testament as suggestions. That's not correct. The New Testament also has rules and regulations. God expected them, those who were under that Old Testament system, to remember what Moses had written. What does he expect out of us today? To remember the law of Christ, the law under which you and I serve. He contrasts here in verses 1 and 2 those who do wickedly and those who fear his name. The picture that he gave in verse 1 was it's like an oven. And the oven has been heated real hot. And what you do, you throw that in the oven and it's burned and it's consumed and it's gone. On the other hand, those who are fearing his name are pictured as fat, stall-fed calves. In other words, they're progressing, they're doing well, they're blessed. But he says, Elijah was the prophet who was going to be sent into their hearts to teach the people to turn their hearts from wickedness to righteousness, from the fathers to the children, being concerned for them, the children to the fathers, being respectful of them. In other words, another Elijah was going to be sent. In Matthew 11, verses 13 and 14, there's a long discussion in Matthew 11 about John the Baptist, but he concludes by saying, For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you're willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. We learn from Matthew that John the Baptist is that one that was prophesied as preparing the Lord's people. Luke 11, 1.17 says, He also will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make a people ready, make ready a people prepared for the Lord. You see, the Lord's going to come again. And just like John the Baptist was there to try to turn the people around to prepare to serve God, that's what we're trying to do today. Is we're, we're trying to say, you need to make a decision. Whose side are you on? Are you going to be on those who do wickedly, those who are out in the world, those who are following their own paths, or are you going to be those who fear the Lord and serve Him? There's a decision that has to be made. The coming of Jesus was like the rising of the sun, the dawning of a new day. It was a day of specialness. Would they receive him or would they reject him? You see, for us, it's the same today. In John 1 verse 12, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe on his name. There is the, the coming of Jesus, and what are you going to do with him? The song, what will you do with Jesus, my friend? And then you've got to see others, though, who will reject him. In John 12, verse 48, He who rejects me and receives not my word has one that judges him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. 
You see the picture. Would they receive or would they reject him? And for us, there remains that same choice. And when he comes this next time, your fate will be set. There will be no choices after that. How you are when the Lord comes to this earth again, and when the trumpet sounds and the dead are raised, either you will be on the Lord's side or you will not. This morning, we're going to encourage you, if you're not on the Lord's side, if you're not doing what He wants you to do, make that change. Be on the right side. If you need to become a Christian, if you believe in Jesus Christ, willing to repent of your sins, confess your faith in Him, be baptized, and then live a faithful Christian life. If you're a Christian and you've been walking in the ways of the world, the Lord's beckoning you. He's calling you now to come home. We're going to sing this song. There's a stranger at the door. And the question is, will you let him in? If you need to respond this morning, will you come as together we stand and sing?